We have been for several weeks now looking into the Sermon on the Mount. And I'd encourage you to get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 7 today. As we wrap up this series, we've called it The Jesus Life. That Sermon on the Mount is a discussion by Jesus of what life in his kingdom looks like. It describes what it means to be a kingdom citizen. And as we started this series, we went to the very end at chapter 7, the end of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus basically says, anyone who hears these words and does them is a wise person. Anyone who hears them and doesn't do them is an unwise person. So we started with the end, and that's where we're at this morning. You can be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, or you can be like the foolish one who builds his house on the sand, depending on what you choose to do with these words that you hear from Jesus. See, the challenge of the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think, is that Jesus' words are hard to understand. Really, the challenge on the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' words aren't hard to understand. They're pretty straightforward. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Do not resist the evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If someone sues you to take away your garment, give to him your, your tunic. Uh, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Don't refuse the one who begs from you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now those are pretty straightforward and easy to understand. Amen? That's being honest. Yes, we can understand those. What's hard is the way that those words call for me to change things about myself. And who wants to do that? I've made this step in my life. I have accepted Jesus Christ. I have become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that necessarily means then that I'm going to look at these things and try to conform my life to that. I have to do what he says, right? If I'm going to call him Lord, the answer to that is yes. That's not always so easy, especially when you consider chapter 7, verse 13, where we're looking at this morning. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. For the the way, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Neither does a good tree bear bad fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and the diseased tree cannot be bearing good fruit. Every tree that bears good fruit or bad fruit that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them 
by their fruits. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are some difficult words. We like reminders about the way that Jesus loves us, don't we? We like to be reminded of the good news that Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I am the chief. We learn songs in kids' worship and at camp like, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. But church camp is over, and I grow up, and I get to Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, where there's this scene at the end of time, and people are saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Just another reminder that along with all the words of Jesus that we enjoy, there are some words of Jesus that we wish he just had not said. And if we'll be honest with that, the last part of the Sermon on the Mount is one of those places that contains some things that are harder to hear. Does it make you shudder like it makes me shudder when I think about it for us to read those words of Jesus as he says to a group of people, I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't like those things. The idea that few people are going to find this narrow gate that leads to life and that some are going to be told by Jesus to depart from him. I don't like that. And I'm in good company, by the way. C.S. Lewis didn't like this whole idea either. C.S. Lewis said, some will not be redeemed. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture And especially of our Lord's own words, it has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason. If a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. Not many will find the way that leads to life, Jesus said. Have you ever thought about the number of people who are going to be in heaven? There have been some different religious systems over the years that have attempted to do that. One of those has said, yep, it'll be 144,000, and then that's it. That's the limit. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses. They've come up with that number, all right? And after that, no more. And then on the other extreme, there's this idea that everyone, period, everyone ever will be in heaven. They're, They're the universalists. God made you, you're in heaven. That's how that works out. That sounds pretty comfortable. Abraham was told that his descendants, which by the way, if you're a follower of Christ today, that includes you and me, Father Abraham, all right? That includes you and me. He was told his descendants would be as numerable as the stars of the sky or the sand that is on the seashore. That's a lot. But then, 
There are the things that Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Some of you are really into numbers this morning. I know who you are. You are so into numbers, you can tell me exactly what you paid for taxes last year, and you already know what you're going to pay this year. You know your social security number, you know your phone number of your very first residence, you know your locker combination from junior high school, and your favorite TV show was Numbers. And you cried when they took it off in 2010. Then there's the rest of us. Others of us who really aren't into numbers at all. And your approach to taxes is, well, I know I have to pay more than I want to. And this year, I'm going to have to do that again. You don't know any phone numbers, not even your own, because it's in your phone. Why bother? Right? Your favorite TV show was Friends, and you're not even sure how many of those you have. You're just not into the numbers. But you know when we start talking about the number of people in heaven, it doesn't matter what kind of cloth you're cut from, most people have an interest in that. Will there be enough room? Will it be eerily large, like a a large, empty, dark church building? Most important of all, is there a limit, and will I make the cut? Pretty soon, it doesn't matter if you're into numbers or not, the question of the number of people in heaven becomes personal, and it's something that most of us care about. How many of you care about if you're going to heaven? All right, you're here. So we get to this passage, and it has some scary news. It's not the only place where Jesus gives us some insight about how many are going to be into heaven. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Narrow, hard, few. Look down in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Look again at those words. Not everyone, Jesus says. Many won't. In chapter 22 of Matthew, Jesus tells a parable about a wedding feast and about a large number of people who are invited to the wedding feast but simply make excuses not to show up. Then there's even one who does come to the feast, but he comes in on his own terms. And then he's thrown out. And Jesus puts this tag on the end of that story, Matthew 22, 14. Many are invited but few are chosen. Few. Peter seems to echo that very same idea. He's looking back at the the days of Noah and the number of people who were there in those days. The earth had been around for at least a thousand years and the number of people who, millions probably, populated the earth at that time all died in the flood, he says, except for a 
few. First Peter chapter three, verse 20. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a result of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Eight people, eight, out of the entire human race. Peter says, that's a few. Philippians 3.18, Paul says there are many whose, whose lives are lived outside of Christ. Their end is destruction. So start with just those places and you might begin to think that there won't be very many people in heaven. It brings me back to this question. How many people are going to be in heaven? That's important. And the other part of it is, am I going to be one of them? But when words like few and many are used, those are relative. We have a tendency to think about these things in our own finite context and as we talk about them and as we read these words, you've got to remember that we're talking about the God who created countless billions of galaxies filled with billions of stars. What does a few mean to a God like that? Boy was conversing with God in prayer. He said, Lord, is it true that a thousand years is just like a minute to you? Lord answered him, why yes, that's true. He said, well, then is it true that like a million dollars would be just like a penny to you? And the Lord said, why yes, that's true. Lord, could I have a penny? In a minute. So is five minutes, let's just take a number here, is five minutes a few minutes? Yeah, it is. It seems like it's just a few if you're talking about tacking that onto the end of your fishing trip or extending your phone conversation with your boyfriend or something like that. Just five minutes isn't very long at all, is it? But if you're talking about you're underwater, holding your breath, then five minutes sounds like a very long time. So what is meant by few and many? That's determined by who's using those words, isn't it? So I want to look at some more scriptures and talk about the numbers in heaven real quick. John 14, verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Well, that's hopeful words. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Sounds to me like a few might be pretty big. Just in case you were concerned, by the way, that heaven might get crowded, Revelation 21 describes the new heaven and new earth without any sea. We just added two-thirds of the area that we have right now. And then in verse 16, it describes the capital city, the New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles square. Sounds pretty roomy to me. So let's get back to what Jesus says here in Matthew. Those who find it are few. And to help, I want to consider a parallel passage. We haven't looked at this, but in Luke chapter 13 is what's normally called the Sermon on the Plain. It's 
quite parallel to the Sermon on the Mount, probably a different occasion when Jesus spoke it, but apparently he really liked the message that he did in Matthew 5 because he repeats a lot of it in Luke 13. Verse 25, he said this, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Does that sound familiar? You see, Jesus in this context was answering a person who was imagining himself or herself to be among the few. Loosely paraphrased, I think the question that was asked to Jesus went something like this. Lord, is it true that only a few of us are going to be saved? And this was a person who was basking in the security of his or her own smug self-righteousness. Steve talked about a person just like that. This, one, this person wanted some kind of affirmation, some kind of confirmation that, yes, the rest of humanity is going to be on the outside looking in on me, the few. And Jesus says to that person, there will be many on the outside, and you're one of them. Just like he said, many will enter by the wide way that leads to destruction. The words of Jesus are really good at clearing away the smoke screens in conversations and getting to the heart of the issue. See, we want to talk about how others are messing it up, how others are failing, how my brother has, remember, a speck in his eye. We want to do that. And Jesus points to us and he says, how about you? How are you doing? We want to talk about the many people who are going to be excluded from heaven. And Jesus looks at us and he says, what about you? So here is this more important question than how many people are going to be in heaven. The more important question is, will I be saved? I'm glad you asked that. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about two surprises about heaven that are going to help us answer that question. Two very specific surprises about heaven. Are you ready? I'm going to ruin the surprises. Who's going to be kept out and who's going to be let in? Those are the surprises that we'll come into. I expect heaven's going to be full of those. It's going to have a lot of good surprises, but these are two that Jesus speaks about specifically and two that I've heard others talk about as well. The first one is the surprise of who's not going to be there. Matthew 7, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a group of people who are going to be surprised. I'm surprised here. You ever stood in a line somewhere? <laughs> of course you have. You ever stood in a line somewhere, though, where you're in a big hurry and the line really slowed you down and then you get almost to the front of the line and find out this was the wrong line. <clears throat> and that the right line is like three times longer. If you were to go out on the streets and take a survey on the streets today, 
I'm, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but let me tell you what you would find. Most people believe there is some kind of a heaven. Most people believe that one day, they'll tell you, that they will be there. And most of those people will tell you the reason that they will be allowed into heaven is because they are good enough, right? I try to be good. So yeah, I expect I might make it, especially those people who go to church, by the way. They attend regularly. They volunteer their time. Go Sunday. Nice commercial, throw it in there. They volunteer their time. They give regularly and generously in the offering. And if you think those things are impressive, you should see the list of things they don't do. They don't cheat on their spouses. They don't cheat on their taxes. They don't drink or smoke or tell dirty jokes. They don't listen to raunchy music. They don't use profanity. They don't watch bad movies or misuse the internet. Kind of sad sometimes how Christianity gets defined in terms of what people don't do. But what Jesus said to the stiff-shirted religious people of his day, he would say just as quickly to the people of today who have self-made righteousness. Your ready-for-heaven status isn't about how good you are. It's about how God is good to us. Don't be confident of heaven because of how much good you have done or how little bad you haven't done. Be confident of heaven if the Lord has promised to give it to you as a gift. Luke 13, again, Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Uh, Luke uses a word there to record what Jesus said, where we get our word agony from. Agonize over this. Put some effort into this. Struggle. Really work to make sure that you enter through the narrow door. Well, how do we do that if our good works aren't what get us into heaven? I'm glad you asked that. Come to grace class today. We're going to settle that question one time and for all. But quite simply, this verse ought to help us be sure of two things, all right? Be sure. Make every effort that you you can to go through the narrow door. Here's one thing that assures us of, that if we're planning to enter heaven, there is something for us to do. There's something There is a door to be passed through, or am I making it up here that Jesus said that? There is a door. You know, when we dismiss from here today, and we are in just a a little bit, we're going to dismiss from here, and one of you were to come up to me and say, hey, sure, where's the guy got to go to get some coffee around here? You know what I would say? Right over there. Sarah's going to be the first one to get it today. Right over there by the door. Just go through that door right there when we dismiss from here and take a right and you'll see that the coffee is there. And if you want to get some coffee, go through that door. That's the answer. If you don't make the trip through that door, you won't be getting a coffee. Unless you go somewhere else, I guess. So there's something for us to do, isn't there? It also tells us this, that that something that there is for me to do isn't just my work that saves me. Walking through a door is not work. It's a trip. It's pretty simple, really. There's the door. You didn't make that door. You didn't even make the coffee. 
You didn't open the door. Fact is, on this journey that we call life, whether you pick the right door or not, you're going to be passing through a door. You're going to be going somewhere. Simply your choice of what direction you're going to go. Jesus says you need to work at this. You need to work at this to make sure that you choose the right way. Agonize over it because one day you're going to be on the inside or the outside of heaven based on your decision. So many people are confident that their goodness somehow is going to earn them heaven. There will be many people surprised that they're going to be shut out from heaven. That's surprise number one. Here's surprise number two. It's a lot happier one. Looking at a parallel passage, Luke 13. People will come from east and west from north and south who will recline at the table in the kingdom of God and behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And that's the second surprise of heaven. Who's going to be included? Once Jesus rose from the dead and the church began, the gospel began to spread out from Jerusalem and the greatest amount of growth came from people who were outside of the kingdom of Israel who were now being welcomed into the kingdom of God also. A lot of them didn't see that coming. And that's what Jesus is talking about there in Luke 13, 29. People from all over the world are going to be welcomed into heaven. Actually, the people that you expected to be there, the people who you expected to be first in line, many of them are going to be moved to the end of the line, and many aren't going to be in the line at all. And that might surprise you. And then there will be many who are in the front of the line from all over, all walks of life, people you didn't expect or you wouldn't have included. They'll be there to eat at the great wedding feast and there's going to be this big crowd in heaven. All right. But it's going to be made of a lot of people that you didn't expect to see there. Surprise! I know you're surprised that the kids' worship's walking in right now, aren't you? I'll just, I'll just give you a tip off. They're going to help with our song at the end, okay? Jeffrey Dahmer, recognize that name? Murdered 17 men and young men between 1987 and 1991. Dahmer had horrendous crimes against them. I don't want to go into details of those, but he was... Convicted on multiple counts of murder in Wisconsin. He was sentenced to life in prison. He was serving that sentence in Columbia Correctional Institute, Portage, Wisconsin. And while he was there, Jeffrey Dahmer started to receive some material that his dad was mailing to him. And he began to read it and take it to heart. He started asking some questions some guy in Oklahoma also got in touch with him, and over a period of time, Dahmer began to read and to change, and he contacted, somehow made a contact with a preacher from a small church of Christ up in Wisconsin. The guy's name is Roy Ratcliffe. He met with Dahmer. He agreed to baptize Dahmer at his request. And on November the 28th of 1994, Dahmer and a fellow inmate were severely beaten by another inmate, and Jeffrey Dahmer died of his head injuries while being transported to the hospital. Now here's the kicker. For all the self-righteous people who think they have a good shot at getting into heaven on the basis of what they do and don't do. 
if Jeffrey Dahmer's repentance was real, if he really was acknowledging Jesus as Lord, if he was accepting Jesus' offer of life through faith, Jeffrey Dahmer is going to be there in heaven. While if they don't rely on the righteousness of Jesus, they won't. Think about that. Most people who hear this are likely to say, well, that's not fair. <laughs> no, it isn't fair. But when you consider that the standard of God's righteousness is for us to be faultless and perfect, and when you view your own record against his perfect standard of righteousness, do you really want fair? Or would you rather have mercy and grace? I'll go with mercy. <laughs> a lady bought, uh, brought her proofs of a photography session into the photographer. She slapped them down on the counter. She was not pleased. She looked at the photographer who had taken them and she said, not one of these photographs does me justice. <laughs> he kind of thumbed through the, the photographs as she stood there and he looked up at her and he said, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. What we are looking at here is a big surprise unlike anything that is taught in any religion of the world. Being accepted by God doesn't depend on how good you are for him. It depends on how good you let God be for you. Will he be the one who gives you the greatest gift that you could ever ask for or will he be the one who waited with his hand extended to give it to you but you never accepted it? Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is small and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Comparatively few will be saved. None will be saved apart from Jesus. And so we have something to do, don't we? If you're counting on your own goodness, you better give attention to where you're headed because you're not going to get there taking the route that you've decided on. And the sad feature of Matthew chapter 7 is the realization that a lot of good citizens, people who are good citizens of planet Earth, a lot of really likable people who seem to think they don't need a Savior because they're good and because they're likable, they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in. And they're going to be shocked one day at the words of Jesus when he declares to them, I never knew you. But no matter how awful your past, no matter how bad you are, God's goodness to us is greater than your badness when Jesus died on the cross he died as an innocent man so he could stand in for you and for the punishment that you deserve he took it all that separation from God the pain and the torment death itself he took all of that on himself so that you could be set free now, you can be a wise man today you can be a wise man who Here's these words of Jesus 
and does them. That's what he says right at the end of chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be compared to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came and the floods came and the winds blew and were against that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. You have an opportunity to do that this morning by responding to the words of Jesus, by doing what Jesus says. It's a matter of a decision that we make. So we get to the end of our time looking at God's word together and we talk about making a good decision, making a good choice. That's where we find ourselves today. What door are you going to go through? What are you going to do in life? Not because your work is going to somehow get you into heaven, but your choice of Jesus Christ will make the difference. What's your choice? In just a moment here, we're going to pray. We're going to encourage you to think through that choice and encourage you to choose Jesus. If that's your decision today, we want you to become a follower of Christ. We want to help you begin that relationship with him. It'll mean repenting of your old life. Yeah, it will mean start, you know, make this intentional change. I want to live like a citizen of the kingdom. It will mean acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of that kingdom, that you give him lordship of your life. It will mean also being baptized into him, raised up a new person to start a new life. You can do that today. If that's your choice, would you just step forward as we Uh, have a prayer and a song today just come up here to the front i will be here to uh, talk to you about your relationship with the lord if you're joining us online today it's kind of hard to step forward it's a long walk but uh, we would like to hear from you and we can get in touch with you cccrockford.org slash connect go there fill out a connection card online we'll get in touch with you very soon and we'll uh, begin this conversation with you let's stand up together Let's pray as we decide what to do with God's word. Dear Father, thank you for the words that Jesus uh, spoke that we have recorded for us, that we have spent time in uh, learning from him, learning what it means to be and to look like a citizen of your kingdom. And Father, we feel the challenge today Uh, the sadness that there will be those who make the decision not to follow Christ. Father, we know that's not your desire, but you've given us this choice to make. So I pray today that, that two things would be on our hearts. First, God, that our choice of you would be already settled in our minds, that we would choose life and follow you. And Father, I also pray that on our hearts would be the concern for those who haven't even heard or yet made the decision to follow Jesus. We know that your desire is for all people to come to a knowledge of the truth, to come to repentance. So God, this time, right now, we pray, you'll remove the hindrances. You'll help each one of us to be uh, earnestly uh, imploring you, earnestly asking Uh, for decisions and choices that are going to honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.